Awesome. Good. It's so great to see everyone tonight. I love this story of Tabitha. Really, our I did not know much about Tabitha before choosing her. The only thing I knew about her was that she sewed and she sewed clothes for poor people. I can't believe I didn't know very much about her, but that's why I chose her. And there is so much more to know about Tabitha. There's not much written about her, and there's just, and so I wanted to study this chapter and know more. Tabitha played a significant role in the church, and Tabitha played a significant role in introducing people to Jesus Christ. I hope you learned more about her in your questions, and I hope you were able to think of some descriptive words for her epitaph. I know if I had to write an epitaph for Tabitha, I would have written faithful servant. So hopefully you got servant on one of those as one of your words, because I think that perfectly describes Tabitha. Several years ago, I went to a play with my husband, and this play was about a small country town and the people who lived in the small country town. And there was a man named Charlie Walker in this town who had just passed away, and they had buried him. And my favorite scene was at this graveside, And only two people came to the graveside, and that was the local preacher who did all the funeral services. He had to come. And then Charlie's neighbor named Jed. So just two people. So the preacher said, Jed, would you like to share some words about Charlie and tell everyone here how you knew him? And so Jed takes his hat off, puts it over his heart, and he said, Charlie did what he did. He said what he said. And he thought what he thought. Poor Charlie. No one knew Charlie. That was the worst epitaph anyone could ever have. He didn't do much in his life, obviously. But Tabitha did. And that is not our story. Everyone knew Tabitha when she passed away. She's often overlooked in the Bible, but God had big plans for Tabitha. And to understand why her life is so influential, we need to understand how the church began. And Acts is a great book that tells the history of the church and how it began. Our story takes place after Jesus has died and resurrected, and now he's spending his last day, his last moments with the apostles. We're going to be talking about apostles and disciples all through this lesson, so I want to tell you a little bit about the difference. So a disciple is a believer, a follower of Jesus. So if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you are a believer, you are a disciple, and a a member of the body of Christ. An apostle is a believer, but apostle means one who is sent. They were men who were given the authority by God to do work on behalf of the church. So that's the difference between apostle and disciple. So here we are with Jesus, with the apostles, right before he ascends into heaven, and he has last words, some very important last words for them. Look at Acts 1.8 on your verse sheet. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And that's exactly what they did. Peter And John spoke 
boldly about Jesus Christ, and many came to believe. In fact, so many people believed in Jesus and the power of God through Peter that they had mats lining the streets, and they would bring out the lame and the sick and lay them on these mats along the street in hopes that when Peter walked by, his shadow falling on their sick family members would heal them, and it did. Can you imagine the whole street full of ill people just get up and walk away? With each teaching and healing, the Bible says more than ever, believers were added to the church. This new body of believers was called the church. And they worshiped together and had communion together, just like you and I do on Sundays. And the Bible describes the new church and their unity as one heart and one soul. And no one was in need. They all took care of each other's needs. Deacons were chosen also for the new church, and they divided up the tasks. They divided up the tasks of shepherding and serving and some of the administrative tasks. But the Jewish people, Jewish leaders didn't like it. They were jealous of the, the apostles and the following they, were, they had. And the church was a threat to the Jewish leaders. So they retaliated by persecuting the Christians, by arresting them and throwing them in jail. And a man named Saul was the ringleader of these persecutors. He was well-known and feared among, among believers because he went door-to-door arresting them and throwing them into prison. But the Lord pursued Saul, and he blinded him and saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul, confronted by Jesus Christ, believed it was him talking to him, and the scales fell off his eyes, and he could see. This was a miraculous conversion in Saul, because God had big plans for Saul and gave him a new identity and a new job. And he says he was God's chosen instrument to carry my name to the Gentiles. Saul received a new name, Paul and authored most of the New Testament books, including Romans, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, so many books in the New Testament. And he went around to the Galatia and Ephesus, strengthening the churches there. He was completely changed. Due to the persecution in Jerusalem, the church is scattered. But this is God's plan. As the church continues to grow in Jerusalem under persecution, New churches were forming in Judea and Samaria. Big things are happening in the church. So the apostles go on a mission, and they go around strengthening these infant churches in Judea, Samaria, and in Jerusalem. And we find Peter in a town called Lydda, because he goes there to strengthen a small church there. And this is where we find him staying during our story. Each chapter of Acts tells us the story of these courageous, amazing men who helped start the church. And then we're introduced to a woman. There's just eight short verses about the seamstress in Acts among these great men. And you know what? She doesn't even say a word in this passage. I love the story so much. It's so curious to me as to why it's dropped in acts among these great men and these great powerhouses of teaching. 
So let's meet Tabitha. Let's look at Acts chapter 9, verse 36. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. Now this first verse gives us an introduction to Tabitha. Luke is the writer of Acts and uses four descriptive words to just about Tabitha, and each one of them is significant. So we're going to go through each of those. First, she lived in Joppa. Joppa is on your map. You might see it. It's by the Mediterranean Sea. If that town sounds familiar to you, it's because that's where Jonah was. Jonah, fleeing from God as he was supposed to speak in Nineveh, went to Joppa, paid a guy for a boat, and ran as far as he could to Tarshish. So that's why you might recognize the city Joppa. As a major port town, people from all over sailed to Joppa. So Joppa was full of diverse people. Lots of people came there for jobs. It was very wealthy. It was a big trade town. Abundance of goods were available there. And like I said, diverse people groups. That's really important. And they, were, they came there for trade and for jobs. Second, while Christians were being persecuted and imprisoned in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace. This was the perfect time to add to the church. They could share the news, the great news of Jesus Christ and could not, had no fear being in prison or being arrested. Tabitha lived at the right place at the right time. Second, we learned Tabitha's called a disciple. Now, I know there were other women in the New Testament called disciple, but this instance is unique because it's the feminine word of disciple in Greek. The word is methetria, and that's really important because she singled out as a disciple to make a point that this is Tabitha. This is one of my disciples. As a disciple of Jesus, we know she knew him personally. Tabitha believed in Jesus, and she followed Jesus. Luke continues to introduce us to Tabitha by giving her, us her name in two different languages. Her name in Hebrew is Tabitha. Her name in Greek is Dorcas. Now, which one would you prefer? I'd prefer Tabitha. Um, I have a funny story about this. I have three younger sisters. <clears throat> I'm the oldest. And by the time my third sister came along, my dad, for some reason, decided we're going to name her a Bible name. And I love the story of Dorcas, so I want to name her Dorcas. And of course, my mom and I were looking at him like, what are you thinking? I mean, naming him Dorcas. Finally, he came to his senses. We were pushing for the name Rebecca in the Bible. We really liked that name. He came to his senses, realized that was a poor choice, realized counseling in the future for having that name your entire life would come at a great cost, and he settled on Rebecca, but her middle name was Tabitha. So here's our names, Wendy, Jody, Rebecca, Tabitha, and Mandy. Now, (laughs) Becky Becky is—Rebecca, we call her Becky because it has to rhyme, you know, so—but we have high expectations of Rebecca, Tabitha. <clears throat> An interesting fact, another, another interesting fact about her name is that it means gazelle. 
You might be familiar with the animal gazelle. It wasn't uncommon to name your child after an animal. And this is a fun fact. I looked this up. It has nothing to do with our lesson. I just thought it was fun. Um, there is a tiny gazelle that's two feet tall that's called the Dorcas gazelle. Isn't that strange? Yes, there's a Dorcas gazelle. I wonder if it was named after the Bible, the Bible name character Dorcas. And the word gazelle is a metaphor for beloved. Beloved would describe Tabitha. She loved her people well, and they loved her. Look at this last description of Tabitha. She was full of acts of charity and good works. And we will see some of those acts specifically later on in the passage, but Tabitha was probably probably bringing meals to people in Joppa. She was serving in her hometown helping the sick, and so many more other acts of charity. Out of her great love for Jesus, Tabitha put her faith in action and loved the people around her. She imitated Jesus. Jesus was also a servant and loved those around around him. She imitated him. She loved as Jesus loved, and she served as Jesus served. Look at Ephesians 5.1 on your verse sheet. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Jesus served by teaching the gospel. He fed crowds of hungry people. He washed his disciples' dirty feet. And he even refers to himself over and over as a servant in the Bible. So here we have a woman who's a disciple. She's serving others full-time. She's generous with her time and her resources in a very populated city full of diverse people from different backgrounds at a peaceful time. We can already see that God is going to use Tabitha to meet the needs of those in Joppa. And there's even more to learn about Tabitha in these eight verses. But the story of our beloved Tabitha takes a little bit of a sad turn. So let's read verse 37 and 38. In those days, she became ill and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. And since Lida was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, please come to us without delay. So she became ill And she died, and this sounds like it was an unexpected illness that took Tabitha's life. The loss of Tabitha would have been a huge loss in Joppa. And they washed her body, and they placed her in an upper room. Now, an upper room is a usually a third-story room. It's accessed by an outside stair. Usually, it's used as a study or it's a place for visitors to stay, or some people just rented it out to people who couldn't afford a home and they could afford renting out an upper room. And placing a body in an upper room was unusual. And normally the body was buried soon after death because it was a Jewish custom not to be near a body and they had to be buried within three days because they were considered unclean. So she was placed in this upper room and no epitaph was needed. No memorial service was needed, planned because this was God's plan to put her in the upper room and wait expectantly for a miracle. 
So the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda. And these disciples, the Bible is referring to our uh, believers, followers of Jesus in Joppa. And Lydda was only 10 miles south of Joppa. You might be able to see that on your map. And remember, Peter had gone to Lydda to strengthen the believers there. And while there, you read this in your questions about a man named Aeneas. He was crippled for eight years, and Peter had healed him in Lydda. People had saw and heard what Peter had done, and they turned to the Lord. The church in Lydda had grown bigger, and this news traveled really fast to Joppa and gave the friends of Tabitha hope. If God had given Peter the power to heal a man, could he help Tabitha? Could he raise her back to life? Did Jesus have power over death? The disciples showed great faith and asking Peter to come without delay. At three miles an hour, walking to Joppa would have taken about four hours max, depending on the terrain and the weather. So someone had to travel from Joppa to Lydda, tell Peter to hurry, come without delay, and then Peter and that disciple had to walk another four hours all the way to Joppa. Doesn't the story make you grateful for cell phones? I love instant communication. Had they called Peter or sent him a text saying, come right away, he could have taken an Uber and arrived in 15 minutes. The thought of walking 10 miles just to deliver a message makes me feel exhausted. I can barely walk uh, four miles. So let's read verse 39 and continue with this story about Peter arriving in Joppa. So Peter rose and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. So when Peter arrived, he's taken to uh, this upper room. And who's surrounding the body? Widows. Now, widows back then were treated pretty poorly. Um, they didn't, obviously didn't have any money. A lot of them were starving. They were at the poverty level. Um, they were lonely. Um, they experienced grief. And this comes with have, coming, with, coming on the long side of having so much loss and pain in their life. And on top of that, having to provide for their family. But Tabitha had a heart for these widows. and They had a heart for her. They were not just women she served. They were her intimate friends. They had grown close. They were surrounding their dear friend, weeping. And it's in her death that we find out more about what Tabitha had done. It's here we learn that Tabitha was a seamstress because they're showing off her garments and her, tu- and her tunics. There were no sewing machines back then. Every stitch was by hand with just a needle and thread, it must have taken an enormous amount of time to make each tunic and each garment. You know, Tabitha couldn't meet all their needs. She was just doing what she could. But I'm sure in the time she spent with the widows, she would remind them who could meet their needs. She probably, probably remind them, reminded them that God sees you and he cares about you. She would remind them that God is their provider 
in the Bible. Look at Deuteronomy 14, 28 and 29 on your verse sheet. At the end of every three years, you shall bring out all the tithe of your produce in the same year and lay it up with your towns, within your towns. And the Levite, the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow who are within your town so should come and eat and be filled. God had made a way within the community to provide for the believers. He would tell those widows that God is their defender. Look at Isaiah 117. Learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, and plead the widow's cause. Tabitha would also share with them that God is your protector. Look at Psalm 68, 5. Father to the fatherless and protector of widows is the God in his holy habitation. And what gift could be better than new clothes? We all love new clothes. But the gifts of knowing the character of God, because only he could really meet all their needs, right? And what can be more harder than being a widow would be losing your son. If you were a widow, life was hard. But if you lost your son, that would be even harder. And those were the widows that were starving and struggling um, to survive. And of all the resurrections in the Bible, and there aren't many, two of them involve resurrecting widow's sons. The first one is in 1 Kings. It's not on your verse sheet. I'm just going to mention it. It's the son of the widow of Zarephath. They were hungry. She was destitute, struggling, and Elijah showed up and resurrected her son. And the second one's on your verse sheet. It's Luke 7. Read with me. Luke 7, 11 to 15. The son of the widow from Nain. So Jesus went to Nain, and as he drew near the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a, cons- and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion. He had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. Then he came up and touched the beer. The beer is like a stretcher that you place a body on. And the bearers stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mother. Not only was he their provider and defender and protector, he is compassionate. And Tabitha had the same compassion as Jesus. You know, I had lunch with two widows recently. It was such a blessing to me. I asked them a million questions because I wanted to know what were their struggles in life? What were their joys in life? What's it like being a widow? And here's some points I took away from that lunch. They were very insightful. They needed someone to listen to them, hear their story over and over and over. Bringing a friend to widows means you love them by listening. Another thing they told me, they hadn't laughed in a long time. They forgot how to laugh. And I've heard this from a lot of people who've been through grief and pain in their life. They just forgot what their laugh sounded like. They forgot how to laugh. And when they did, the own sound of their laughter surprised them. 
And she said it felt so good to laugh. They also said, have more grace. Don't take relationships for granted. And they both agreed they ha- you have to find a way to serve, but it requires patience. While they were grieving, they had to wait on the Lord to show them where they could serve. These two had found a place to serve. They chose to mentor younger widows. In fact, their group has grown to probably 35 by now, and they take day trips to Granbury. They take them all over the place, making new friends, and they experience laughter again. I think this was Tabitha's service too. While sewing, she prayed for them. She prayed with them. When trying on tunics, she listened to their story over and over and over. I'm sure they laughed together. They ate together. They prayed for one another. They encouraged one another. And if you've ever had to have someone sewn for you, you have to go visit several times to have it hemmed and have it and try it on. That's a lot of time to spend with your seamstress. And Tabitha chose to use that time to engage with those widows. From this, her service grew to a relationship and then a tight-knit group of believers. And then a full-blown women's ministry. This could have been the very first women's ministry in the Bible. And it all started with Tabitha picking up a needle and thread. I'm sure Tabitha was moved by these impressive works of of Tabitha and her service. And look what happens next in verse 40 and 41. But Peter put them all outside and he knelt and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when when she saw Peter, she sat up and he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and the widows, he presented her alive. You know, after looking at the tunics and admiring their garments, Peter sends everyone out of the room. He kneels and he prays completely dependent on God to raise Tabitha back to life. And God answered his prayer and resurrected Tabitha. I always wondered, how did Peter know how to do a resurrection? How did he even know the steps to a resurrection? Well, you know, I found out the scene is almost identical to another resurrection. There's a story about a man named Jairus, and he's a leader of a synagogue. And his 12-year-old daughter had just died. So Jairus wanted Jesus to come to his house and visit. Jesus was going to his house, and he said, Peter and John, you're the only ones I want to Accompany me, accompany me to Jairus' house. They were the only ones allowed to join them. And when they arrived, Jesus put everyone outside. And let's look at the rest of the story on your verse sheet. It's Mark 5, 41 and 42. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking for she was 12 years of age, and they were immediately overcome with amazement. Okay, even the names are similar. Talitha and Tabitha, 
Jesus knew what he was doing. Peter was there to watch and learn and imitate Jesus in the future. He knew Tabitha's future. He knew Peter's future. And he planned to use her in his great plan. Announcing Tabitha's resurrection had to be the very best job in the world. Peter gets to go outside and call everybody, come upstairs, come see Tabitha. She's alive. Come talk to her. She's living and breathing. Tears of mourning turned to tears of joy as the widows were reunited with their beloved friend, Tabitha. And we know that news travels fast in Joppa. So you can imagine what happened throughout Joppa concerning Tabitha's resurrection. I can just hear it. Tabitha's alive. Hey, didn't she die like last night? Yeah, so how's that happen? Who's with her? Oh, it's that Peter guy that was over in Lydda. Remember that? He healed Aeneas and now he's here. You mean he could bring someone back to life? Peter's God could bring life into Tabitha? I want to follow Peter's God. I want to follow Tabitha's God. Okay, what about Tabitha? Here she is. She's died. She's been in the presence of Jesus. And now Jesus is going to send her back into the world. I think if that were me, I would have said, I am good. I've taught all those widows to sew. They're fine. They can sew their own clothes. They know what to do. They can have all my stuff. No. Tabitha wanted to do the will of the Lord. She loved serving. She would do anything to follow, to follow the Lord, and she was a living testimony to the power of God over death. She wanted to be used for as long as God could use her, and he was not finished with her yet. So back to earth she went to be with the widows. Let's read verse 42 and 43. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And he, Peter, stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. So many believed in the Lord. Tabitha was a living testimony. The people of Joppa, Jews, Gentiles, foreigners, children, grandparents, parents, were impacted so greatly by Tabitha's life, they placed their faith in the God of Tabitha. God had Tabitha in the right place at the right time to use a needle and thread to bring many to place their faith in Jesus Christ. As the church continues to grow, Tabitha didn't say a word in this passage because God used her life as an illustration on how to live our life. You know, we know Tabitha would die again. This resurrection was just temporary But she didn't live to leave a legacy so that people would remember her, but she lived to point others to Christ. Her life was a picture of what God could give everyone, and that is eternal life. Have you ever pondered the impact your service can have on others? You are a living testimony when you use your God-given gifts to serve others right where you are, 
Tabitha served right in the town of Joppa. You know, some of us, but a very small few might be called overseas or maybe to another part of the country, but most of us will be right here. We have so many opportunities to serve right in our own neighborhoods. What are you passionate about? What makes your heart beat? What do you think about the most? Like Tabitha, she looked around in her daily activities and God pricked her heart and opened her eyes to the needy widows in her own hometown. She walked into the service that God had planned beforehand. God has planned a service beforehand for you right here in your neighborhood. Look at Ephesians 2.10. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Your living testimony when you engage in the lives of those you serve. How can you know how to serve someone if you don't know their needs? You listen to them. You observe them. You pray for them. You get to know them, and then you know how to serve them. You may have heard of the author and speaker, Carol Kent. She came and spoke at one of our women's events And she shares her own story about her only son. He was intelligent. He was a graduate of the Naval Academy, very successful kid. And through a tragic event, he found himself in a Florida prison. He had a life sentence and no chance for parole. Her life was turned upside down. She had to stop writing and teaching and spent her time at the Florida prison visiting her son. Visitation days were crowded, and she noticed while standing in line in the hot Florida humid weather that there were many, many families, women holding babies, kids in line, and some of them were being turned away from visiting their loved ones. And this was a two-hour long visitation line. Every time they came to visit, it was two hours. She got to know some of the families, but it broke her heart. They didn't get to see their family members. So she and her husband made a decision. They said, we're going to start a t-shirt ministry because these people were being turned away for not having sleeved shirts. You had to come in with a shirt. If they came shirtless or with ripped shirt or sleeveless shirt, you'd be turned away. And you wouldn't know that till you reach the end of the line. So they started collecting shirts in their hometown and piling their trunks with T-shirts. So every time they showed up, they'd open their trunk and hand out T-shirts to everyone in line. It's so simple. But it's, if she, it's because Carol looked around. She got to know the people in line. She spent time with them, and she looked and observed that people were being turned away. You know, I hate lines, and the first thing that comes out is my cell phone. I don't engage, but a line is where God's placed me sometimes. When we are engaged where God has placed us, even in hard places, he will bring opportunities for us to engage with others. How many missed opportunities I might have had while I'm on my phone. You're a living testimony when you trust God to work in the hearts of those you serve. He will bring the fruit of your service. We have no idea how God will use us. And we aren't responsible really for the results. He just asks us to obey. Tabitha had no idea how how God would use her service. All she did was sow. 
He took care of the rest. You know, we have a sewing ministry right here at Christ Chapel. You might be a part of it. It's a quilting ministry. They make quilts for the Fort Worth Pregnancy Center. And last Sunday, I actually met one of the women who's part of that ministry. And she said, I have so much fun meeting all the other women who quilt. And I said, what surprises you about it? And she said, how God has used our gift of sewing. And you may have heard this in the sermon last week. It's so exciting. They take quilts to women who are having sonograms for the first time and are really are deciding if they should keep their baby or not. And there's been several of those women who have made a change through prayer. They, when they make these quilts, they pray for the moms and then they bring them a quilt. There's been so many moms that they've heard have changed their minds and decided to keep the baby. The biggest smile came on my friend's face. She was so excited that, to see what God was doing with their sewing ministry. Seeing his work brings so much joy, which brings us to our next point. Expect to experience joy in your service. Sometimes we see services drudgery. Oh, I gotta go. Gotta go here and serve. But that's how we know if we're in the right place of serving because we'll experience joy in that service. Serving shifts the focus from us onto someone else. And it helps us see God, see, help, God helps, see, helps us see them as he sees them. And we stop focusing on myself. Um, some of the lowest times in my life, I've gone out to serve, and those people that I'm serving have blessed me. They bring me joy, and they've taught me lessons, and I didn't know I needed that till I served. We also have joy for our future. Just as the widows were filled with joy as they were reunited with Tabitha, we don't have to say goodbye to our fellow believers. We can have joy knowing we will be reunited with them someday. Joy in our own salvation because we'll live forever with Jesus, knowing that the loss we feel now isn't forever. To lose a loved one is temporary. We will see them again. Tabitha was full of good works and acts of charity. but Those good works don't save you. They didn't save Tabitha. It was her faith because she placed her trust in her Lord Jesus Christ. Tabitha's story told the story of the gospel, widening the circle of influence in the church. And I think when she finally arrived in heaven, she told Jesus, this is it, right? This is permanent. I'm staying right here. And I think her epitaph would read, well done, good and faithful servant. Let me close this in prayer. God, thank you for giving us stories like Tabitha to remind us how we can take our small offering of service and use them to change lives. Help us to see people as you see them and to know how to use the gifts you've given us to serve right where we are. I pray we live our lives as a living testimony to be your witness to others so they may also know you. In your name I pray, amen.